0: Continuing our discussion of 1st Hindu chapter 5, Sumat Bhagavatam, is instructing Vyas with regard to the solution to it. his disciple Vyāsa's despondency, and he's given direct Instructions as to how he can remedy that, and now he's giving him more or less the same instructions by way of telling his own story, the virtues, the glories of bhakti, which Vyas had not sufficiently written directly about. So, the story of Nard's life, and he. He called in the previous verse a previous life in a previous day of Brahma, and how in that life he was born as the uh, son of a maidservant and had the opportunity to associate with some Vedantists, which as you'll hear uh, in texts ahead. The devotees of Krishna, significant point. Let's we'll elaborate on, on that time when we come to that verse. And he uh, had their association during the monsoon season when he stayed at his house. So they um, engaged him in their personal service. Text twenty-four. Te mai apet hakila chapale arbike, arbike, Dante dritta, kridanake, nuvartini, chakrukripam, yapituliadarshanaha, shushushamane munayu, alpabasini. So, here we find a description of the qualities of Narada as a boy and the qualities of the sages whom he got the personal service of. Personal service is uh, certainly valuable. It's uh, said that Krishna always wants to serve his devotees, but his devotees, of course, do not want to accept any service from Krishna. That's uh, the last thing they want. This, of course, is a general idea. There are some sentiments for Krishna, like Sakyasa, where acceptance of the servants of Krishna is quite acceptable. Sometimes they serve Krishna, sometimes Krishna serves them. This is, of course, Leela Seva. And to accept service from Krishna is service (laughs) on their parts. But the general rule, at any rate, of course, is that uh, the, the devotees they don't in their dehas they don't want to accept any service from Krishna but Krishna likes to serve them and, and those dehas have those bodies he says he himself maintains mm-hmm. he says um, I maintain those bodies what they have I maintain what they lack I, so I supply mm-hmm. so he's active in the lives of as sadhakas and that to the extent that they actually live the lives of sadhakas without distraction and so in this context there's some dilemma as I said because Krishna wants to serve them and they don't want to accept any service from him. So, it's said with regard to the advanced devotees whom Krishna wants to serve, this problem is solved in the form of persons like Narada, who rendered personal service to the, to the sages, to the devotees, and thereby became an agent through which Krishna was able to serve his devotees personally. Mm-hmm. Bringing them some water, mm-hmm. um, and so forth. These kinds of services for the maintenance maintenance of their sadhaka So that is a great opportunity, and this is the point that uh, he's making here. He got the opportunity to render some personal service. This changed the course of his life. He goes on here and today describes then what he was like and as I say what the sages were like so he mentioned certain qualities but it should be understood that the qualities in himself that he mentions were themselves a result of the association of the devotees. He's speaking only of himself in the context of having had sadhusanga. And so in the context of sadhusanga, the previous verse said he rendered some personal service. Here in this verse he speaks about his personal qualities. We should understand that to a large extent these qualities then came from bhakti. And uh, this is an important point in this verse because when he speaks about the qualities of the sages, he says they were tulya, darshana. Samadarshina, Dita uses this term, it's um, a phrase that in one sense refers to the jnanis, Samadarshina, Tulyadarshina, means to see equally without discrimination. Yes. Dita uses this language uh, in the, I believe the fifth chapter, hmm. it says, Pandita Samadarshina, this is this, hasti, gabi, suni chava pandita samarashina Whether it be a dog or a dog-eater, whether, whether it be an animal, a burden, or a beast, and so on and so forth. Some, a pundit, a learned person, but the true idea of being learned then, educated, is that that person sees everyone equally, without discrimination doesn't see them as uh, different based on their bodily situation as much as he sees their non-difference in terms of their all being atmas in different situations. But this uh, kind of vision obviously applies to some extent to devotees as well, even though devotees are more typically marked by uh, partiality, mm. rather than impartiality, neutrality. Mm. They have a bias towards Krishna, for example, towards Ram. Indeed, Krishna has a bias towards his devotees. Later in the Gita, in the ninth chapter, is samoham Teju." I'm everyone. I see everyone equally. Samahamsabhu. I'm equal to everyone. Uh, What's that verse called? Samahamsarabhutishu? Namibh? Something. But, he says, I'm partial to my devotees. I'm impartial towards all the beings, but I'm partial towards my devotees. Namibhveshasti, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't envy anyone, mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't like anyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, nonetheless, I'm Partial towards my devotees, this might seem contradictory, it might seem as a fault. Hmm. But if we carefully study, of course, the partiality of Krishna, we find that impartiality is contained within that. Impartially, he extends himself to everyone when he says things like um, Hmm. As people approach me, I approach them." So he gives everyone the opportunity, he's there to be approached by anyone and everyone, but as they approach, then he reciprocates accordingly. The opportunity associated with him intimately is there, if he should uh, so desire, but not everyone does. So he responds accordingly. So there's a kind of impartiality within his partiality, those who choose to love him then he loves them and if you love someone then for example those that don't love that person your the same affection does not extend to them and this is the kind of uh, we looked at a kind of a uh, the impartiality in an in an overt sense is the part of the paramatma Situated equally in everyone's heart, observing, witnessing, sanctioning, giving facility for the fulfillment of one's desires and so forth. Without his will, our will cannot be realized. We have a will, but it's not entirely independent. As I said the other day, we're compatibilists when it comes to the argument of determination. Determinism versus free will. We find that there is a compatibility between having free will and there being an overriding uh, determinism. We may will, we do will, but unless Krishna wills, sanctions our will, then it's not possible for us to, to realize it. So the Paramatma is kind of this uh, more... Uh, um, impartial, you don't, uh, he, and he's the goal of the yogis, mm-hmm. whose ideal is knowledge, omniscience, rather than being, existence, in mm-hmm. part of Ghanis, or love, on the part of the devotees. Knowledge mm-hmm. implies some objectivity, impartiality, and so on and so forth. In Bhagavan, mm-hmm. on the other hand, then he is more characterized by this partiality, but as much as Paramatma is a manifestation of Bhagawan, there is impartiality, as they say, within the partiality of Bhagawan at the same time. So it's not a fault, indeed, the partiality of Bhagawan towards his abilities is, the, is, the, is what makes him Bhagawan, in a sense, hmm? and which makes him lovable, in other words. The overriding uh, of uh, justice. In order for there to be mercy, well, there has to be justice. So there's there's karma and there's the all-pervasive eye of God. Nothing is missed by him. He, his eyes are always open and so on and so forth. So, But for overriding that uh, justice, this is the place of mercy. So both have their place. We rely on Mercy, on and justice as uh, devotees. So, the fact that the devotees here are described as Samadharjana, uh without discrimination, they saw uh, uh, everyone equally. The important point in describing them like this is that Bhakti is independent. This is a point that Nara has made earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Bhakti doesn't in other words, it doesn't matter how, what you do it doesn't warrant that you get bhakti it's not a right, it's a gift Um, if something could give bhakti then what would be its position we know for example that bhakti can give mukti but we never heard that mukti gives bhakti of course, uh, people, th- people who like mukti over bhakti, they think, well, who would want bhakti if you have mukti? It means they don't understand. But bhakti, of course. But the fact that bhakti gives mukti, but what position then is bhakti in? Hmm? This takes a bhakti to figure this out. <laughs> uh, so the position of bhakti is, is uh, supreme. Hmm. And uh, so it needs to be stressed, and it is again and again here in the Bhagavad. Again, he he stressed it in his um, speech and now in, his, in the narrative that's coming out also. In the word here, with the, the word used to describe the sages. They were had equal vision. That means that they did not give their mercy to Narada because he had the various qualities that he mentions herein, such as... Uh, uh, he uh, he was uh, self-controlled, had no attachment for sports and frivolity. The hmm? yeah, idea, even though he was a boy, frivolity is more you know the, the norm for a young young boy. So, didn't have frivol- frivolity. In addition, I was not naughty, and I did not speak more than required. So he was a good, a good boy, saying But, again, he's mentioning this all, mm-hmm. these qualities of himself, in the context of sadhu And so, the commentators, Prabhupada, Mishwamachapati, uh, uh, Thakur, others, have uh, made this important point, hmm? that these qualities came as a result of bhakti. It's not that he had good qualities, Someone else nearby had bad qualities, and therefore the sages gave the mercy to him because he had good qualities, which would imply that having good qualities such as these um, gives you the uh, earns you bhakti. There's a statement in the Bible which I I never read the Bible. I heard it. I hope it's accurate. It says something like, "Not by by works, something like that." In one not by works alone or something like that so you you can't like earn your way uh there so to speak there is of course some effort in bhakti mercy and effort so we get the mercy we make an effort to get mercy (laughs) something like that make an effort to to get to be blessed So he had good. He, he, he In the context of association, he got good, quali- good. These good qualities, and then, seeing those good qualities come, of course, then the sages would readily give their mercy, that much, uh, that much more. Seeing that, that, what blessing they had given had been taken advantage of. Hmm? So there is a is a giving of blessing because we see the good qualities. We see oh. She's taking advantage. She's paying good attention. She's this Time won't be wasted here. Hmm? I've given the opportunity for Bhakti, and he's he's taken it up seriously. That will, certainly that effort then, hmm, as a result of the initial mercy, that will draw more sympathy, more mercy, naturally. Hmm? So Bhakti is the is lesson. Independent, she has no cause other than herself. If we were to trace it out, the closest thing we'd come to the cause of bhakti would be sadhusanga. Because Chaitanya charitamrita says that that uh, bhakti is is born from sadhusanga. Hmm? So that, but if we look carefully at sadhusanga, what do we find? Sadhusanga is that's a form of bhakti. Sadhusanga is an anga, a limb of bhakti, a very important one for that matter. So then we find, oh, it's bhakti that gave bhakti. This is the idea. So as Krishna is independent, so is bhakti. The word used earlier on in the text was ahotuki. Ahotuki means, in one sense, without any motive. So one engages in bhakti without any mo- motive, means without any motive other than for bhakti itself. Therefore, bhakti is given bhakti. Hmm? Same idea. Hmm? That's why haitiki means without a motive, but it means causeless, at the same time, without a cause. Hmm? Not doing bhakti for some other reason, but for its own sake. Therefore, bhakti sanjataya bhaktiya, as it is said later in the eleventh Skanda of the of the text of Srimad Bhagavatam only Bhakti gives Bhakti hmm? as Krishna is independent described in the, in the beginning of the, of the text Swarat Abhidhya Swarat hmm? completely independent so his Swarup Shakti which is his own internal nature so to speak is also independent and Bhakti is constituted of the essence of that Sri shakti okay. So, with this ingress, uh, of bhakti uh, into our lives, we have the opportunity to to grow and develop in terms of our fullest potential, to attain the prayojana of praying, the goal, the ideal, the fruit of love of God. Okay. So otherwise tulia the equality equal vision uh, this is uh, uh, something that is also used to describe the Uttama bhakta and the, 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 the superlative devotee it's also in another sense used to describe the neophyte devotee and whereas the intermediate devotee is characterized by a kind of Discrimination. So how can the discriminating devotee be uh, see uh, see equally because of the nature of how he discriminates? But before we discuss that, let's discuss the the equal vision of the uttamadikari and the. Uh, lack of discrimination, which could be called vision, on the part of the neophyte. One is desirable, the other is, is, uh, is, is something we need to move beyond. Hmm? So the Uta vision, equally, is that, uh, seeing things equally, is that he sees, Bhagavad describes, everything in Krishna, Krishna in everything. Um, Mother Yashoda, his example of seeing everything in Krishna. She forced him to open his mouth to see if he had actually eaten dirt, as Balaram had accused, um, when he himself was denying it, and when she looked into his mouth, she saw himself she saw she saw herself inside of his mouth, opening his mouth, and in that mouth. She saw herself opening his mouth and so, infinitely, so she saw, in other words, the whole, everything within Krishna, she thought, that's pretty wonderful. She was said to be just drifting, just as if drifting from her Vatsaliya Bhava, like this is my son, like, this, is, this is God. It'll never happen, of course, because the power of her love is such that, that it will only make... His godliness whenever it shows something that ornaments her paternal maternal affection for him. Yeah. I said, a, 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 a cat cried out yeah. just at that time yeah. to bring her back down from drifting too far <laughs> towards uh, Aishwarya. But of course yeah. her praying would, would, uh, would only really ultimately allow that Aishwarya, that godly display of uh, the infinite to further beautify, ornament, and enhance her son. I've given an example before, just like you know, some embarrassing situation where the man becomes, some man becomes the president and his mother runs up on the stage and says, Oh, Obama, what is was his name? Oh, Barack, <laughs> oh, yeah. my son. He's become the president. So the first thing is, he's the son. And he's become the president. Incredible. Mm-hmm. But she treats him still like her, like her son. I don't know, she, is she an American citizen? <laughs> so uh, so something like this. Um, this is the, the nature of the praying in Vrindavan. Outside of Vrindavan, we find it, there's a shift where the godliness of Krishna is more prominent, and it can manifest and suppress the intimacy, the affections that the devotees have. Hmm? Arjuna is a good example. When Krishna showed the universe inside of himself, Arjuna began to tremble, Hmm? began to offer respects and obeisances and prayers to Krishna. And he thought, I must have offended him. I used to call him, hey, Saki, hey, Yadava, hey. Uh, oh, oh my, my dear friend, uh, buddy, uh, uh, something like that, and we used to sit on the same bed together, and I, I made fun of him. The names that Krishna uh, addresses, Arjuna uh, Arjun addresses Krishna by or says, I used to address you by these names, are derogatory, <laughs> if we look at them in terms of their uh, relationship within caste and so forth. He's kind of like chiding Krishna. And saying, I got a little bit higher birth than you, or something like that. In, in, in intimacy, in friendship. And now he's seeing, here, he's God. So he's thinking, I, I really have erred here. Please forgive me. You're a God, and so forth. So here we see his Sakyarasa, which is a Purisambanda. He's, a, he's a, a city friend of Krishna. Hmm? This is different than the, the, the friendship in the Braj. There is uh, more. Uh, intimate where that will never take place you, you know the famous pictures krishna's lifting over down the Hill with the little pinky of his uh, left hand and his friends are there with their sticks helping him to hold it up and it's kind of crazy in a sense we <laughs> get it up for there with his pinky and what's their stick going to do and so forth but they they're thinking that we need, we need to assist him in their in this uh, their madness of love. So their love never recedes hmm? in the show of um, Aishvarya. Their Madhurya, the sweetness of their love, never recedes in the face of Krishna's uh, godhood. Outside of the brush again, the equation changes. They even we find Devaki and Vasudeva. They were. Um, they met Krishna after Krishna killed Kamsa, and they were hesitant to bring him on their laps. Hmm? Krishna, their, their their son, he had just killed Kamsa. I mean, Kamsa was the demon of the demons. All the demons that were sent to the brudge were sent by him. They were all under his control. Imagine how powerful he was. And Krishna had slain him. So then he, he just he, um, brought then Krishna under the spell of love, but again they showed him motherly, parental affection. Mm. So, Mother Yasoda then, others, these are, uh, as I mentioned, June examples of seeing everything in Krishna, and seeing Krishna in everything, hmm? in everyone. Mm. will come up in these verses to come how Nard was fortunate that he got to take prasadam. He got to eat the remnants of the food that these uh, sages ate. Mm -hmm. This is the classical prasad. Mercy. Mm -hmm. Someone wrote me an email, a, a devotee from another sect and said that they had been at A restaurant that was presided over owned by one of my followers and um, another person had been and had told her that at that restaurant uh, the proprietor although a devotee did not offer the food to Krishna because um, it's uh, wrong to sell prasadam and so she she was shocked and she asked me about that. And I said, I don't have any restaurants, but I used to have and one that was run by one of my followers, Agni Dave, and that I had instructed him to offer the food there that he cooked to a picture of our uh, going to Caeditis at Audaria, both when the restaurant was in Eugene and when I was moved to Santa Rosa. So I said, there must be some... some uh, you must have heard it wrong or something like that. So I very much doubt that Agni would do other than I instructed. And uh, at the same time, I said, however, uh, I do remember Sridhar Marsh once questioning the idea of selling prashad. I said, think about it. Mm-hmm. Pujapada Sridhar Marsh tells a story of how when he joined the mat, the mission, the monastery, early on, at one point he was given the service during a festival that had and convened under the auspices of Bhakti Saraswati Thakur to bring the common people together in Mass and give them a chance to hear properly about Krishna. And naturally, prasad was distributed. And so they had a big kitchen, and they were preparing halava and distributing the halava. Hmm? And so people were lining up and coming, and, and, uh, and it was... I guess too big to sit everybody down. So people were coming in the line, and then someone was there, like at a buffet, you know, kind of fishing out the prashadam. So he, there he was, under the guidance of another of a, of a senior member, distributing prashadam. And then he saw this one guy come, and he took prashad, and then he went and ate, and he came, he came to the back of the line. He came back up for a seconds. Shinramar said, Oh, sorry, this guy's came here once before. Okay, here you go. Second time. And then he saw the guy come again, <laughs> the third time. And so when his turn came to get, he hesitated, hesitated for a moment, so this guy's coming, like, the third time here. You've got a lot of people to feed here, you know. So, and then so his, his senior said to him, why are you hesitating? And, and he explained, well, this, this guy's coming for the third time, you know. And he said, what are, what are you distributing? Hmm? Is it food, or is it prashad? Prasad of course, means mercy. Are you distributing food or mercy? So it struck him, and then he, gives, he gave the thirds. The eagerness of that fellow to come back was a good quality. <laughs> uh, he wanted more mercy. Whether he knew it was mercy or to what extent is another thing. But he said, so are you handing out food, or are you handing out prasadha? hmm is there, in other words, is there any qualification for receiving prashad? Mm-hmm. or any disqualification? Mm-hmm. So, so I mentioned this uh, point to her. I didn't tell the whole story, but I said, you know, think about it. And and then I said, because uh, I just was caused to think about it also. And I said that uh, actually, if any Vaishnava distributes food, that's to the common people that will be mercy. Hmm? To receive anything from a Vaishnava, a real Vaishnava, would be mercy for someone. But to speak of food, which is so basic and important, and food, the exchange of which really. Constitutes some type of intimacy, the sharing of, of necessities and so forth. That's why, you know, you don't like to eat with strangers. It's an intimate affair, actually. Yeah. It's harder to digest, you know, you want to be relaxed at that time. So, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, I mentioned that point, and then there's a nice statement in the Shruti that uh, anuvai brahman anuvai rasa food is brahman food is rasa so you think about it but food is the basic essential and and that essential was maintaining us essentially you play it out we're being maintained by Bhagwan. he's the provider of all the food for the arrangement of nature and so on and so if the you, you, Upanishads are seeking to give us a more of an expanded and dynamic idea of the Godhead rather than just a localized idea. He's here in the temple right here, and you bring the food and offer just like this and so forth. Hmm? That's a good thing. That's important. But if we serve the deity, that focal point where he's present personally and so forth, it should turn into something whereby we actually start to see him everywhere and everything, and I quoted to her from Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, I am the fire of digestion. That's what I said. And if someone sees that Krishna is the fire of digestion and just feeds people (laughs) with that in mind, the fire of digestion is Krishna. He needs to eat. just feeding people. He can develop brain bhakti from this. So I try to help That already kind of come out of a very kanishta conception of you have to offer food exactly like this, and then it's prasāda. Now, that kind of thinking is good to a point. Hmm? But it should develop in in the kind of of, uh, thinking that we're discussing. Hmm? Worshiping the deity locally should turn into understanding his universality. Where he's, he's everywhere. He's in everything. So th- this is, and this is the, this is interesting because when we talk about the vision, the non-discrimination, if you will, of the uttamatikari, where he sees everything, in Krishna, Krishna in everything, the kaniṣṭha Adhikari, the other end, the neophyte is described as he sees God in the deity and nowhere else, not even in the devotee who told him the deity is Krishna. It's like sometimes we ask, why do you bow down to the deity if you do, or show any reverence to the deity? And if you think it as, we say, well, some devotee told me to do this, instructed me, showed me, so where is Krishna? In the devotee, as far as you're concerned. Hmm? The devotee is revealing, here is Krishna in this place. Hmm? And of course, then if we follow the devotee we'll, and serve there, we'll see, Krishna is everywhere and everything. Hmm? Hmm. So the contrast between the two. I only see him in one place. He's only there. He's not anywhere else. And therefore in other places I can do things that I I wouldn't do in the temple. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is not then to see the universality of your deity. Hmm? So these these two examples are given. He sees the deity everywhere. He he sees God everywhere. She sees God only in only in the deity and the point is made not even in the devotee, where the implication is Krishna is most prominently present, manifest. When the great devotee, the devotee sees uh, Krishna in everything, it also means that he sees, he sees love of Krishna in everyone. He sees everyone as if they have some love for Krishna. He sees them as somehow or other they're, they're, they're serving Krishna. There are nice examples in the Bhagavatam, the queens of Porka, the gopis and so forth, in their bhava. There's a saying, atmavan mam jagat. One sees others to be like oneself, so when one develops brain, one sees like others have brain. In fact, the vision of the devotees... Is if there's any discrimination on the spirals of devotees, this he sees Krishna everywhere, everything in Krishna, Krishna in everything except one place, not in my heart. Only there. There's no love for Krishna. Therefore Krishna is not in my heart. But he can see him everywhere else. So he actually has praying, he has love for Krishna, but it's being extended, naturally, not in a calculated way, everywhere. Mm -hmm. One sees others to be like oneself. The faults in others that really irritate us, we want to take a close look and see if I don't have them in myself. Mm -hmm. Something like that. So, um, at the same time, we're talking about the neophyte discriminating and seeing Krishna only in one place. In another sense, he or she lacks discrimination. Mm. And therefore, when the intermediate devotee does discriminate and withholds mercy from envious people, for example, at least ostensibly, at least overtly, that person finds fault in that devotee. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, and and thinks, why don't you help and give to everybody? Mm. Bhaita Siddhamsa gives the example that uh, the neophyte tries to force the holy name on everyone. Hmm? Can you say, Hare Krishna? <laughs> 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 and, uh, and of course, um, there is, uh, it is mentioned that to give the holy name to the faithless, that is an offense to the holy name. Hmm? So the one who's actually chanting conscientiously and attentively is attentive to avoid the offenses. And so he or she will avoid, then, associating with, let's speak of uh, uh, trying to get the people who are envious, let us say, to chant. He will avoid. But in the context of avoiding, that devotee will keep a distance and think, pray that that person could, could uh, overcome their uh, enmity towards bhakti, towards, towards Krishna, towards his devotees, and so on and so forth. So they, in the context, this is an example then of the intermediate devotee's discrimination, we see, he's also kind of um, uh, not discriminating. In other words, he is giving some mercy indirectly. To those persons whom he avoids by way of uh, praying for their betterment but he avoids really giving them the opportunity to make an offense and uh, further impede their own practice whereas those who are innocent like here would be the case of Nara then uh, they, they they tender to them they share uh, Insights about bhakti with them, with with those who are their peers, other devotees, they make friendship, and with the godhead, with the deity, they cultivate their love. Dini shu, asat So this is their fourfold uh, discrimination, um, and again, their very life is characterized by discrimination. But if we look carefully about at it. Hmm? And there's kind of a non-discrimination within that. So, that said, uh, an equal vision within that. They don't have the intermediate doesn't have the equal vision in the sense that the neophyte does, or, or the lack of discrimination that the neophyte does, in a in a, in a in a in a in a, um, a way that's problematic. They don't know who to associate with, who not to associate with. They can't discriminate who's really a devotee who's an, an imitator and so on and so forth. They may criticize real devotees, glorify pseudo-devotees. They lack discrimination. The other end of the spectrum again, great devotees will take, if someone gives them food, they will think, Krishna's offered me prashad, mercy. I'm getting mercy from Krishna. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he wouldn't go anywhere um, and not discriminate. And that uh, Krishnas, Babaji, the Kintanakrishnas Babaji disciple, of Pakistan used to go to all kinds of groups and do kirtan, even the sahajiyas and so forth. He wouldn't even become a sahajiyan. but he was—he he lacked some discrimination, but in a, in a, in a, in a positive sense. But the uh, uh, anyway, but the intermediate devotee, then he has some um, discrimination that that kind of calls his or her progress, thinking about the path, um, the significance, and, uh, and uh, it was also said that discrimination is the better part of valor. That's an English. So, it has a negative connotation and it has a positive connotation. So, and, and in a positive sense, he discriminates. And basically, the difference between his uh, equal vision, if you will, and the superlative vote is equal vision. He has an equal vision, but he deals inequally with people. Hmm? Because he sees them in terms of their conditioning, he sees them also in terms of their prospect in devotion, their potentiality, but he lets his life, if you will, be guided by that discrimination in order to foster bhakti within himself. But again, he'll avoid certain people in order to foster bhakti within himself. So the difference, but at the same time, he's not discriminating in that. If he, he also knows that if I associate with these people, they'll cause offense, for example, Again, so he avoids them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the difference between his, if you will, lack of discrimination, even though I'm describing him as the one who's characterized by discrimination, and the mahabhagavats lack of discrimination, is that he does not see Krishna in everyone. Mm-hmm when he begins to see krishna in everyone he becomes a superlative devotee so in this way the sages are described as too much to be learned from this uh, this description of them and despite their being so the point is here that they gave mercy to um, to 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 narada uh, and not to someone else and It's also true that although the superlative devotees don't discriminate in the way that the intermediate devotees do, we do find in their examples of their lives that they give mercy to some and not to others. So, how to reconcile this? The idea is that bhakti within them is causing them to give mercy. again the bhakti is coming from bhakti bhakti has taken a ha- place in the heart of the intermediate devotee and and causing them to an upsurge of compassion and mercy for a particular person there's no why to that this is bhakti's own rule if you will there's no rule to it you say. It's, again it's mercy which it shows in, in their hearts and they extend mercy both the intermediate devotees and the superlative devotee's Hmm? But, again, important point here that, that Narada wants to make in the context of telling the story is that Bhakti comes from Bhakti. Therefore, the qualities of Narada that we see, they all came from Bhakti. And we have personal experience of this. Hmm? That Prabhupada came to America and um, many of us had, did not have good qualities. We weren't necessarily clean by devotional standards. You know, in the 60s and early 70s, it was customary not to bathe as much and wearing long hairs and so forth and, uh, and so forth. There were other habits, too. <laughs> and coming in touch with Prophet, all these habits went away. And it was quite amazing that long-haired persons would shave their heads then. I remember when I had long hair and, and, and I met the devotees on my way to to uh, to meditate in the jungles of Jamaica. An idea, live there forever. and It's a long story, but um, I met the devotees in in Florida on New Year's Eve, and so they asked me to. I met them before that at the Woodstock Festival in Upstate New York, but. Um, I couldn't catch up with them, this time they, uh, and it's a long story, but they, they, I stayed in a tent out in the, in the uh, Coconut Grove, Miami, behind the temple for the night, and they, um, in the morning this fella got me up and uh, he told me to take cold showers, I said, okay, and then I said, why do you shave your head? wasn't popular to have a shaved head in those days. The probably shaved his head. And that's all he said and I thought oh, that was cool. Wow. That's cool, I thought. I didn't think any you know well, so what or whatever, you know I thought, they like this Prabhupada, you know, they really I just liked their affection for him. I was really taken by that. I remember last uh, I think it was four a festival, if we do annually at Al and some devotees wanted that we gonna be initiated. And Kanupriya was there, and she had just spent, like, I was in Madhuban for three months, and she had lived in her car, in her van, at Audarya for three months, because she had read um, some of my articles and books, and she was really taken by that. So she came there, and I wasn't there, and I gave permission to, to let her stay there. And so she stayed three months at Audarya in the winter, it's a little austere, living in your van... And she had two dogs with her, so her dog, so but she was there for the programs and whatnot. And, and so, uh, then, then I came back, you know, for a few weeks before the Gor Purnima and so forth. And so, anyway, there was this lot of enthusiasm, and some devotees were going to be initiated, and she, she was just caught up in the enthusiasm of that and asked to be initiated, uh, also. Just and she told me, I see they have so much love for you, and I like. That's just so attractive. You know, I just that uh, I wanna be, you know, part of that. So of course I made a Korea, So she's heading up our program at Saragrahi right right now. Um, so um, anyway. Um, we had so many bad qualities, but in Prabhupada's company we wanted to be like Prabhupada. We thought, wow, so if he does it, we do it. You know, Something like that. Imitation of a good thing is a good thing, (laughs) sometimes said. (laughs) So uh, we just adopted that without any, often without any reasoning about it, his affection for Krishna, that that manifests in the form of affection for us, just made us, you know, you didn't have to think why I should do this. I want to be like him. I never felt so much love from anybody mm-hmm. as I feel from him. So I want to be like him. So whatever he does, I, I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. So in a very kind of simplistic way, what they it would be, shave the head, change the dress. There was no like, wasn't a big issue, something like that. I don't know if I could wear a robe like that or, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was pretty wild times <laughs> in those days too. It was. to be unorthodox was popular and this was certainly unorthodox amongst the unorthodoxed Hmm? Um, so I guess there was some motivation like that as well but largely it was basically Prabhupada had affection for us and so we figured well we want to be like that like that affection and I guess affection dresses like that and talks like that and we would talk sometimes in kind of broken English like Prabhupada would (laughs) And, you know, however he would eat, you know, he would eat with his hands, and we eat with our hands, you know, and only the right hand. And and so, but sometimes there would be explanations about why, and sometimes not. It didn't matter. We basically felt, he is love. We feel that, we want to be like that. So, I guess this is how love eats, how love thinks, talks, walks, dresses, and so on and so forth. So, his bhakti hmm, brought these simple kind of qualities that Nara is talking about here. I became very obedient, you know, a very obedient boy, if you will. And I was the black sheep of my family. <laughs> Rather disobedient uh, you know, type, maverick, type of uh, going against the grain and so forth. It so was this huge, like, change. Hmm? This is the kind of change that Nara is talking about here. And we felt that Prabhupada saw equally that he was through that that he cared equally about everyone and everything. Hmm? Equal. That his love was not like material love. I love this one, I don't love that. He loved everyone. Even while he, as a Mahabhagata superlative yogi, nonetheless exercised some discrimination, as I'm saying. Hmm? The overriding reality We perceived. We thought he had love for everyone. Hmm? So then we wanted to be like that. So Narada wanted to be like that. Their equal vision. hmm? Their equal vision was seeing Krishna in everyone. They were loving everyone, Hmm? seeing everyone, everything in Krishna, loving everything, and this. Brought these basic good qualities in him, and when when they shall again mercy him, that much more as we'll hear. Any question? Yes. I was uh, thinking about how um, devotees don't want to accept service from Krishna, and I was thinking about the praying to Krishna. For help in different situations, I remember you saying something like that it's good to take shelter in Krishna to sort of foster this kind of understanding that He is our only true shelter. But at the same time, if we're praying to Him for help and we're sort of asking Him to serve us, so is it a question of uh, different stages or? It's somewhat a question of different stages. Um, and um, also, generally, we pray for a certain kind of help, a kind of help to give us the power to serve our Guru. For example, we consider ourselves servants of Krishna's servants. So, that's on So we pray to Krishna, give me the power to act in such a way that my Guru, Dave, who has given me the opportunity to know you, to serve you who pleased with me, then certainly you'll be pleased. So we ask his help in, in pleasing him and serving him. Now, there may be instances on a certain lower level where we ask his help for all kinds of things that hmm. uh, a, a higher devotee might not. But the tendency, this is what you are referring to, as I said in the past, to depend on Krishna, even for our necessities and ask for them, in the beginning, will be better for us than than not, because we'll develop the tendency to depend on Krishna, to call on Krishna. To, so, if you don't pray 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 to God, because you don't want your marriage to break up or something, you know, because uh, that will be difficult for you or or, <laughs> or something like that, then. Uh, uh, it's good to bring God into your, into your life, more so than not, although that's not the best thing to pray for, or to pray for your daily bread, as they say, and so on. So I think that it's good, the tendency to depend on Krishna, if you will, even in the neophyte stages. Then later, you know, we'll ask, we'll, we'll know better what to ask for, hmm. but develop a tendency to ask depend on Krishna. Ultimately, we should ask for service, for bhakti. And, of course, giving is the getting, right? So that's the secret. What else? Any other question? It's so nice here, so peaceful. Let's sit here and talk about these things, in the forest, as the moon comes up, uh, the feet of Krishna. Murray Śrī ngoj <speaking> censorship bulun creator, the, <water> <speaking in> the <water>